It's nice to see you all this morning. Etymology. Etymology is a study of words. And it's, it's pretty fascinating as you get into uh, a look at, at words, where they came from, what they mean, how they got their meaning, how that changed over the course of years. And phraseology, phraseology is a little bit new. It's the study of, of phrases and of quotes and their origins and where they came from. And if you've ever, uh, you know, seen a funny quote on Facebook and tried to figure out, you know, exactly where they came from and you chase it down, you, you often discover there's a little journey to it. It's, it's, it's not quite as simple as it seems like it should be. So as I prepared for this week's sermon, as soon as I knew what I was, what I was preaching on, a quote immediately popped into my head. And it is a quote that every single person in this room is familiar with. But what was fascinating as I studied the phraseology of it to try to figure out where this thing exactly came from, not surprising really, there's a little, little bit, of, there's some layers to it, a little bit of depth. So uh, I'm going to start with the, the person that I genuinely thought said this phrase. So we'll go to our, our first person up here. Now, you'll recognize this guy, Ben Franklin, all right? And Ben Franklin, this is what he says. He says, our Constitution is now established, and it has an appearance that promises permanency. permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death, and taxes. Now, it was his letter to John Baptist Leroy. Now, what's fascinating, I mean, we, could, we're not, we won't stay too far political, but boy, oh boy, does that, that quote ring true as we, we look at our, our government today. But man, you've heard that before, right? Nothing is certain but death and taxes. And Jesus says we're supposed to pay our taxes. And I thought that was it, 1789. I thought that was our guy. But as I said, it turns out, you go a little bit further, somebody else actually said that before him. So you go back to 1726, there's this guy, Daniel Defoe. Now, when I first say that name, you, you may not uh, register true, but if I told you Robinson Crusoe, everybody in here, I don't know if you guys know this, that is the second most printed book behind the Bible, Robinson Crusoe is. And Daniel Defoe wrote, wrote his book, right? And it, this book is called The Political History of the Devil. Now, Boy, this is a scathing book. This, this book is really uh, writing against the Catholic Church and some of the abuses and stuff that they carried through it. This was actually banned by the Roman Catholic Church, uh, one of their books, the big no-no list, not to, not to mess with this book. But this is the quote that he says. Things as certain as death and taxes can be more firmly believed. And that's in 1726. So we got like a, a 55, 60-year gap there. And I thought, okay, well, there we go. We've, we found who originally said it, Daniel the Wrong again. There, even more. You got to go back just a little bit earlier, right? And there's this guy, Christopher Bullock. He is a playwright. He's actually from a family of actors. His, his dad was a famous actor in London. He became a famous actor in London. And he writes this play called The Cobbler of Preston. And this is where we find the original source of that quote. Tis impossible to be sure of anything but death and taxes. 
And I just thought it's fascinating. You can, just, you can see, you can just kind of imagine in your head, Daniel Defoe going to the play with his wife. All right, she said, I want to go see the play. Honey, you got to take me out to the movies. And they go to the play. He hears the quote. He comes back a few years later, writes a story. Uh, Benjamin Franklin reads that story. He remembers that quote and he writes it. And now I'm up here telling you the same thing today. Nothing is certain but death and taxes. So as we consider, uh, continue our one thing this morning, we're going to look at one thing that is certain. One thing that is for all people, for everything, death. Come on, smile. It's, it's, <laughs> it's okay. One thing certain, one thing for all, death. And we're going to pick it up. We're going to pick this up in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in chapter 3. And I, as I read through this, you, you guys have heard this before. Are you ready? For everything, there is a season. And a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a, a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. I swear it's not too late. You've heard this song, right? You guys know this. Birds made this song famous. And the heart, there's a time for every, death is coming for everybody. There's a time for it. You've been to more than a couple funerals in your life? You've, you've heard that verse. I am, I am absolutely positive. We, we know this verse. Ecclesiastes goes on a little bit further, though. You might, you might not be as familiar with this verse, Ecclesiastes, again, in chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to the dust all return. And again, when we go to the 70s, you can hear that song too, can't you? Kansas, we're dust in the wind. We're just dust. We're all, we're all gonna die. So what is, what exactly is death? You guys know I kind of like definitions. I like to work them into my sermons. So I decided what I was gonna do, the thing to do, was to look at Merriam-Webster, and let's see what death is. After we get done, so I'm going to do my best here, but after we get done, when you guys go home, I want you to do that, all right? It's fascinating. Fascinating. You, you, you Google Merriam-Webster, Google it up, look it up, and you're going to get, in, under the, the heading death, I'm just going to do 11, 11 of their explanations for death. And if you look at the examples, in this, I could have spent like the whole sermon just here. All right, so Merriam-Webster, this is what they have to say. It's a permanent cessation 
of all vital functions, the end of life, an instance of dying, the cause or occasion of loss of life, a cause of ruin, the destroyer of life, represented usually as a skeleton with a scythe, the state of being no longer alive, the passing or destruction of something intimate, extinction, civil death, like in a legal sense, slaughter, or in Christian science, L. Ron Hubbard, the, the, the lie of life in matter. Very Gnostic definition. If you summed it all up, though, all right, if you're going to do a secular summary of, of what death is, okay? Secular summary is this. Death equals non-existence. Okay? Death equals non-existence. But, man, what is the, how, does the, how does the Bible, how does it talk about death? So a biblical definition, we, we look at this Greek word. I'm just going to work from the Greek today. Thanatos. And what it means, all right, is separation of the soul and the body by which life on earth is ended. That's, that's what thanatos means. But when we look at it biblically, okay, we really, you break it down. So biblical summary, death equals not non-existence. Death equals separation, okay? We're, we're, we're separating. Now, there's two forms of death we see in the Bible. One, we're super familiar, like we get this. It's why everybody smiled and laughed and tried to be all stoic as we talked about physical death. Physical death is a separation of the soul from the body. And we get that, okay? We, we, we absolutely get that. I was thinking about some illustrations, right? You know, because, you know, natural revelation, all this good stuff. I mean, we got to have, we got to have a little bit of, we got to have some illustrations to help us understand some things. So, I mean, I, I thought about this pencil, right? You guys can kind of get the idea of, of physical death, uh, but there's, there's some differences, right? I mean, there's, there's some differences. I'm sorry, Tony. I'm sorry. I, yeah, Jeannie looked at Tony like, oh, man, he's making a mess. I, I apologize, you know, and, and boy, we're, we're just, we get busy. Oh! So I'm playing with my knife. And I cut off the tip of my finger. Now, that finger's dead. There's been a, a separation. That sucker is, I'm not going to make it. We, we, we still got a, a little bit of time here. I'm not going to make it in time. They're not going to reattach that thing. But here's the question. It's a breakdown of physical matter. The material is dead. But am I still me? I'm still me, right? I mean, I'm probably a little angrier version of me. I'm probably a little, little disgruntled if I, I cut the tip of my finger off. I actually did that up here to cut the tip of my thumb up while we were working on that wall. And I was a little less than happy about that. But I was me, because the truth is, it's, it's not the physical body that makes me me. If I, if I lose a leg, I'm still me. I'm me without a leg, but I'm me, because we're more than physical material. We're dealing with more than just a, a physical breakdown of substance. We're dealing more than just a separation of soul from body. We, there, there, there's more to it. There is a soul. 
What makes me me is not the physical material, it's what's on the inside. You're more than just what biology, what secular science is going to try to explain us away as chemicals and matter and material. No, we're more than that. And we all know that. All right? The second form of death is spiritual death. And if, if physical death is a separation of the soul from the body, spiritual death is a separation of the soul from God. Now, Great definition. Where, where can we find it? Where's the, the origin? Where's the beginning? Let's go back uh, to the origin story, right? Where does this, this, this whole concept of death come from? And we go back to the book of Genesis. You guys remember the book of Genesis? God, God creates everything in six days, and he takes a little break, and he, he talks to Adam, and Adam's naming some animals, and, and uh, that's his job, and, and it's really a, a, a point. You know, God's saying, look at everything I created, and and boy, a help meet for you. There's not, a, there's not a partner here for you. And you need some help, Adam. So he, he makes, makes Eve. And man, things are good. God gets us to really good. He goes from creating, you know, earth, and it just keeps getting better and better and better and better. And the last, like the greatest thing that God creates is this woman to be with Adam in the garden. It's just a beautiful picture. And, and God said, man, I created him, my image. Male and female, I created. I created them, they're to be together, and when I put those two together, that is the closest that we'll get. In our marriage, I don't know if you guys know this, but as a husband and wife, joined in marriage, you genuinely, the Jerry Maguire, you do complete each other. God designed you that way. What, what I lack as a, as a man, my wife Shanda makes up as my wife. What she lacks as a woman, I make up as a husband, and that's how we're meant to walk through life. And we, in that, we present this picture, this, this unity, this completion. It's why marriage is such a beautiful picture. God, it is beautiful. You know, just a little chuckle. And they're in the garden. And you guys know the story. They, they can do anything. It's perfect. Everything in the garden is perfect. But God says, gives them one set of instructions. Don't you eat from that tree in the middle of the garden. And the devil comes in and he deceives the woman. He does not deceive Adam. That's not what scripture says. Adam sins. Like his sin is way worse. She was tricked. She was duped. Adam was not. Adam just sinned. He just went against what he knew was right because because she told him. I don't know. Probably because she, with her eyes open and her and realizing that she had sinned, was brokenhearted. And Adam just didn't know what to do. He loved his wife. He was just trying to to do something there. But he sinned. They sinned. And God shows up, and well, here we go. Pick this up, Genesis 3, 7 to 8. They eat the fruit, and then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve, who, I mean, you talk about no shame, being, being perfect. I mean, they didn't even know they were naked. They were just hanging out, loving life, loving each other, in perfect unity with God. God showed up. They spent time together. Everything there was perfect. Everything was perfect. We're going to get into just how perfect here in just a minute. But I mean, flawlessly perfect relationship with each other and with God. 
and they eat the fruit, they disobey God, they sin, and immediately, immediately, there's separation. We see the, the spiritual death right here. They, they hide themselves. They, they, they separate themselves, even from each other. Now they've now they got to put on clothes because they realize they're naked. They, they, that boundary was not there. It was not in the, in the garden. It wasn't there, not at the beginning. And they're freaked out. And God's coming. This God who loves them and spent them and created them and breathed life into their nostrils, and they are freaked out. They are scared. For the first time ever, somebody's scared. And you see the consequence. To the woman, he said, I'm going to multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. The sentence, the sentence of death. But keep in mind, we've, we've seen the reflection of spiritual death, and we hear God say, physical death's on the way. You are going to, I've created you from the dust. To the dust, you shall be dust in the wind, man. You can just hear it. Hear the song. I can hear it. And then, the man, he called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Now think about what I just said. He called her Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now he, she wasn't called Eve before because mother of all, there was no understanding of the living and the dead. You understand? To, to say she's the mother of the living is to create a contrast. That contrast did not exist before this moment. Everything changes, right? Just all of his, everything that we see in the world changed in this one moment. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So for the very first time in all of creation, something died. It wasn't a fig leaf, an animal. You know, if you wanted to, to chase the bunny in speculation far enough, you'd probably think it was the lamb, wouldn't you? You read the rest of Scripture. Boy, that seemed to make a lot of sense. But the Lord creates garments. And for the very first time, I don't care what secular science has to say, the very first time, something died. There was no death in that garden ever until this moment. And I'll tell you a secret. Everything's been dying since. You know anything about physics? They got these laws. All right, there's a first law, there's a second law. The second law is the law of entropy. And what that second law states is that every complex system is in a state of decay. It is 
breaking down. It is dying. All observable science affirms this to be fact. Everything we can see. It's why the, the notion of, of evolution is, is the least scientific thing. When you look at science, everything is breaking down and falling apart. Genetic information is lost, lost, lost. All these uh, mutations are negative consequences. At a DNA level, things are falling apart. They've been falling apart since here. All observable science affirms that to be an absolute fact. And we see it, and it all began right there. If you planted your garden last month or so, you sweat it. <laughs> you have to go out and pull the weeds. It all began right here. Well, a couple things to think about. First of all, I want you to notice that the spiritual death preceded the physical death. If we go back to the text, all right, the physical death was secondary. The first thing that happened is Adam and Eve in their awakening, are terrified to be in the presence of God. They have sinned. They have violated what God has told them to do, his instructions, and their immediate response is to hide. He is perfect, and they were living in perfection, and now they have sinned, and they are imperfect. And imperfection cannot stand in the glory of God. You go to Isaiah, and Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I have seen the king, and I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean. He recognizes God's glory and his perfection. He recognizes his sin. Adam and Eve experienced that first. And they hid. When we sin, we, we hide from God. Spiritual death, the problem of spiritual death. Also, it doesn't just proceed, it exceeds the problem of physical death. It is a much larger, more problematic issue as we're going to see here. Romans 5, 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sin. Now, I want you to think about what he's saying here. Because death is more than just men, right? I mean, physical death has extended to all of creation. All of creation was affected by this one moment. Now, stars explode, planets die. Uh, you can't find dragons or dinosaurs, right? Haven't seen a dodo bird in a while. Had to say bye to Gene this year. That spread to all men, through all of creation. But he's keying in on men. Why? 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 Because it's not just the physical, it's the spiritual death. For sin indeed was in the world. And he says before the law was given. In other words, even before uh, Moses shows up and says what sin is, we, we see sin in the disobedience of God. We see, we see Adam and Eve sinning. Because sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So he's painting this picture that 
before Moses came with the law and said, here's the rules, and we're all going to break those rules. Matter of fact, I just want to make a point of this, because you hear people say stuff about Adam and Eve. Man, them guys. Look, none of us are being punished for Adam and Eve's sin. All right? We did this with the kids just a couple weeks ago. Uh, and, and what we worked from was just relational stuff. We, we, like John was talking about, just uh, Jesus as he's engaging with the, 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 the rich young ruler. He just works on like level two. You know, you don't love each other the way that you should. You, know, love, you love your stuff more than you love, love the people, uh, your, your neighbor next door who you really don't like because he plays loud music at 3 a.m. and, you know, you're trying to go to sleep for work. I'll make it real easy. I want you to raise your hand if you've loved the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength every single day without flaw for your entire life. You neither. Good, I'm, I didn't think I was, was the only one that couldn't raise my hand. We're punished for our sin. I've sinned. I've sinned. All right? Yep, I inherited a nature from Adam, but boy, I jumped right into it. it ain't Adam's fault. Sean's fault. It's your fault. We've got our own stuff. Romans 6.23 says this. For the wages of sin is death. Everybody says, what? I want what I deserve. Okay. None of us can raise our hand. Not one person in this room can raise your hand. Well, what we deserve is death. And what's death? Death is eternal separation from God for eternity. We agree, it's separation. We just went through those definitions. You got physical death. Oh, I'm going to be separated from my body. Okay, well, that's, you know. Uh, in one sense, if you base your definition of death uh, on the secular definition, then you only live once is right. It's appointed for man to live once and then to face judgment. You're right. Physically, you're, you're going to, but the truth is you live forever, sort of. One way or another, you exist forever. You exist forever. Your soul exists Forever. The question is, well, where's, where's, where's it going to exist? And apart from something changing right here, because we all admit that we've sinned, where we exist is not where God exists. And it's a big problem. The wages of sin is that. And, and, and when I say death, I'm not talking uh, miracle max. He's only mostly dead. We're dead. And here's a funny thing about death. I'm standing up here on this stage, and I have a heart attack, and I fall over dead. There is not a single solitary thing that I can do about that. Nothing. Not Nothing. I'm dead. Somebody on the outside has to do something or I'm going to stay that way.
you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were dead. Absolutely dead. But God, from the outside, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But God, you were the flat line. Do you get it? Dead. But God, because of his love, he sends Jesus Christ down here to atone for that sin, to create a bridge. If you've seen the, the picture of, of God over here and the cliff over here and the middle space being sin, and then you've seen the, the cross, you guys know what picture I'm talking about? You've seen that before. And Jesus is the bridge. He is the bridge. He Covers the gap, eliminates the separation. And listen, listen to the garden. Let's think about the garden, right? Immediate separation. Adam and Eve are separated. Matter of fact, not only are they separated in the sense that they're ashamed and they're hiding, but when God got done killing that animal, giving them that cloth, that, that, that clothes, the first death, he says, Man, it's not good for man to live here. He's, he's got to go. He's got to go out of the garden. Separation. And Jesus comes back and listen, you've been saved through faith, the gift of God, so that no one can boast, but we are his workmanship. So you're not saved by works, but you're saved for some good works. And here's the best, created in Christ. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and not walk in them alone. You understand, he's empowering us. He's walking through it with us. This is a miracle that we were separated. We're hiding. We're hiding in the weeds, man. And Jesus steps into the scene and he makes us clean and he says, come here. Come here. 
And he puts his arms around us and he brings us back to life. And he says, come on, we got some work to do. We're making everything new. We're taking everything that was broken. Everything is a consequence of sin. We're going to make it all new. And I want you in relationship with me. Come on, we're going to do this together. And instead of separation, and we're intimately connected with a purpose that God ordained before, before this ever happened. He knew. It didn't like a surprise. Adam and Eve wasn't a surprise. God knew. How in the world am I going to know about his grace and his mercy? Every song this morning. I love Rob's songs. Every song about mercy, about the mercy of God. How would you and I know about the mercy of God? Other than this. How neat is that? Everything for a purpose. God working every single thing for good for those called according to his purpose, just like it says in Romans 8. Even the sin, working it all for good, all for his glory. And instead of being separated, you and I are invited. We are, we are brought, we are made new, we are made clean, we are clothed in Christ, and we can stand in fellowship with God. It is a miracle, an absolute miracle. Each and every time a heart has changed, each and every time that heartbeat starts again. Romans 5, 15 through 17, going back to Romans 5. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For how many? For as many as believed. You know, you guys have heard that, that phrase? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes shall inherit eternal life. If you believe, you're part of the many. And the free gift... It is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You were dead, dead. And now you're alive, really alive. You guys watch The Chosen? You guys seen that movie? I highly recommend Netflix. And there's some interaction. And it, it comes straight from Nicodemus. And he's, he's talking, and he's, you must be born again. You must be born. What is that? You're dead. You need to be born. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You need to come alive. And you're dead. You can't. He's working on your behalf to draw you, to give you life. That life will reign in you through Jesus Christ. And it's a miracle. God bless you. So what's the point? 
of all of this, right? Well, first, you're going to die. How many billions? What is that? Like, I don't know, some crazy, crazy billions of people that live on the earth today. Who even can begin to count how many over all of creation? Best of our knowledge, two people escaped. Matter of fact, not the best of our That's it, two. Elijah, Enoch. That's it. Everybody else died. Even Jesus died. He died. Physical death, he died. And you're going to die. And everybody you know is going to die. Every man, woman, child, if you're in here, you got an expiration date. Unless Jesus comes back before then, which, man, that'd be great. But unless that happens, you're going to die. The world is breaking down. The second law of entropy is true. Everything is breaking down and falling apart. Get the aches and pains. The older you get, the worse it's going to get because you're breaking apart. Everyone's going to die. But not everybody is going to live. Are you going to live? Are you going to know what life is? You can't do that apart from Christ. That's the starting point. That's the born again. That's, that's step one. God has stepped into the scene. The trauma team's there. The paddles are on your chest. Are you going to live? I love the book of Deuteronomy. I love it. Uh, if you've read through Exodus, you know, you, you get to learn a little bit about this Moses guy. I admire Moses, man. I, I, I relate to Moses because he screwed up the first part of his life. And man, I don't even want to go there. I, I relate to Moses. Grateful. Just, just grateful. Don't, don't even understand how God could do what he did in my life. And uh, by the time you get to Deuteronomy, it's, it's Moses' swan song. The Lord says, look, Moses, your time is, is up. And, and Moses, after investing that second part of his life in a, in a community, in a nation, leading these people as God has directed him. And, and man, God uses him to do tremendous things and, and to give us some incredible truths and incredible reflections of, of really of God and, and, and leading us towards Christ, getting us, getting us a little further down the road. And he starts summing all this stuff up, right? And he, he knows his, his time's about to come. He's not even going to go to the promised land that he was leading them to. That's not, not his place. And he stands before the people after he has reviewed all the law for him. He says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and a curse. Therefore, Choose life. 
in a room this big with this many people. I know I have a mixed bag. Some of the folks in this room are alive. You're alive in Christ. The, the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit of God working in your life, it is, it is bright. You radiate Christ as you walk through this world and you make it a better place just by existing. Because you're His. Can't even help yourself. He made you to do it. Created in Christ to walk in those walks. But I also know that there's some people in this room that are dead. And I'm just going to leave you with one question. Band, you can come on down. Can you hear his voice? If, you, if you're out there, Have you, you don't have to raise your hands, but I want you to think about it. I want you to really, really think about it. Have you, have you chosen life? Have you heard his call? Have you chosen to follow him? Are you alive or are you dead? There's no in between. You're one or the other. Have you chosen life? If you know in your heart of hearts this day that you have not, but you hear his voice, you know that his words are true, you know it. And you actually, you know what? I lay aside my pride or anything else that's getting in the way of making that decision. And I am following you, Jesus. I want life. I want the life abundant. You promised. I want you. And come talk to me. Come talk to Rob. Come talk to John. Come talk, come talk to us. Let's pray. Because if you hear him, if you hear that voice, it is because... He is working on your back. The, the, the paddles are on your chest. Just step into it, man. Let your, heart, let your heart take off. Just wait and see what he can do with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace that you have overcome everything, that you have worked all things for good. Even this death thing, you have, have worked so that we could see the beauty of your mercy and your grace for us, that you, you are the hero. You stepped in to fix, to fix what we messed up. Like a good parent. Okay, man, you got to learn your lesson and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to show you. I'm going to teach you a better way. And there you are. There you are, Lord. Saving us taking us from, a, from the valley of dry bones to the mountaintop in your presence forever. Lord, thank you. And Lord, if there's even one person, even one person in this room that has not given their heart to you, Lord, I just pray that you would move on them. That we could hear 
sound of those heartbeats beating today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.